Um, well, Coach, uh, want to welcome you out um, to the podcast and also give you congratulations on an awesome start to the season. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. it's like, I mean, tell me about that world. I, and it's been your world. It, it's kind of been your life. Yep. From, from college. But like, tell me about that world of like, you start the season, you do everything, you know, you prepare, you do everything that you can. But then you go play the game and, yeah. you, and you've seen the highs and you've seen the lows yeah. and that's kind of the life that you sign up for. But tell me like what that's like. Yeah, it's it's the, uh, the beauty of sport, right? Um, because you you get to experience uh, success and failure and unpredictability in front of the whole world. And it's so immediate. The returns are exactly immediate, right? Um, there's nowhere to hide. And and. It's the drama of it that makes it so beautiful. I was talking to the guys, you know, we just played a game against North Carolina State to win the championship of our MTE event. And the first nine minutes, we were really shaky. And um, I was trying to help our guys understand um, that, you know, fans are watching the game and feeling frustrated and upset and walking away from their TVs and and uh, feeling like there's no hope. And our guys just kept hammering away. And then you see the tables turn and you see this epic game unfold before your eyes as a fan. And it's the real time drama and watching these guys do something that is inspiring. And that's the beauty of sport is that it's not scripted. It's completely unpredictable. Now, is there anything better? Oh, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Like you get to live it out in real time. Oh, there's anything better. Like when I think of like, the real drama in my life. Mm. The highlights, the peaks, it's got to be sport. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the, 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 the highs of the highs of the high and also the lows, of the lows, yeah. like the depth of depression. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was watching that game against North Carolina state and it was, it was just that it was, you know, and, and when I think what's fun is you've got to, you're coming into a world that's just so different. Like college sports in general are just completely being disrupted right now yep. and navigating that. And also coming into the big 12, that's like arguably the best conference in the country. Like what conference is better yeah. than the big 12? It's not even close. It's not even a close second actually right now. It's the, the, the dynamic nature of um, college basketball right now. And being at BYU, which is such a special place, I really do feel like I have the best job in the world um, because it's one of the hardest jobs I could possibly imagine right now, and that just drives me. I mean, that's what we all look for is, is you know, challenge. And, and um, you know, everything is changing so fast in the way we function as coaches and depart and athletic departments. So give give me teams. some examples. Give me like some real time examples. Yeah, of like so it was like this two years ago. Yeah. Today it's like this. Right. So, you know, the two most dramatic changes that have been just like, I'm talking about seismic shifts, like, like turning the world upside down in terms of college athletics is the transfer portal where now every single player gets a free transfer. It's unrestricted free agency every single year. And then the second dynamic that's so interesting is, is, you know, this NIL component that is brand new um, that, you know, it's, you know, for forever, it was this notion of amateurism. Um, 
uh, it, you know, this kind of noble amateurism, which I, you know, for me right now, when you think about it, we were all kind of sold a bill of goods. Yeah. Um, and to now where it's, 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 you know, these players can be compensated, but there's no salary cap. There's no structure. And so it's, it's like the, the wild, it's the wild complete west. Complete wild west. You know, we talked to our friends, you know, in the in the NBA and they're like, man, we don't know how you guys survive with unrestricted free agency every single year and no salary cap or salary structure. It just is, it just is, it is the wild, wild west which is actually super exciting because if you can be creative and if you can find answers that fit for your university, it gives you an incredible chance to jump ahead of the curve. Yeah. I mean, what, what are those answers? Cause you're doing it. Like, I mean, I, I, you hit me up, yeah. I donated for NIL. Yeah. And I think a plug on this is like, you know, the reason why I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on is like, this is something that people can absolutely yeah. impact the outcome if you support the team, give some money. Yeah. Like, like the, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money. And I think basketball out of any of them, you have the ability to change the calculus more just because there's less players. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a twofold uh, kind of approach. And one is this idea that, that this is a really good thing. So um, for, you know, the last decade, several decades, um, the money in college athletics has been going through the roof. You're seeing conferences sign multi-billion dollar television contracts. Stuff. It's just really incredible. And and the schools are divvying up the money and and administrators and coaches and and uh, you know corporate sponsors and 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 you know other sports are are kind of getting uh, are getting the lion's share of that money and the athletes that are actually the product. When you get down to it, it's about these athletes. Yep. The athletes are actually getting um, you know a, a significantly less than uh, acceptable minimum wage yeah. uh, portion of this money. And so, um, you know, there's nothing noble about amateurism when you think about it, you know, and I grew up t- t- totally loving Embracing that. it. Yeah. Embracing thinking it's it, yeah. something noble and special. It's actually not. The real truth is amateurism, not special because amateurism is just the people that are earning the money, not actually having a chance to partake of the money and, and the other people getting wealthy off of their backs. Right. So, um, and so that notion is, 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 um, is, you know, hopefully we'll dispel that pretty quickly. The, 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 the beautiful side of NIL right now for our athletes is it's given these young athletes a chance to kind of like, instead of coming out of college in significant debt, kind of act really, really responsibly, yeah. which we're doing with beautiful ways. For example, I'll give you an example. Every single one of our athletes now has a direct deposit Roth IRA account that they're trying to max out every year. And if you do that, you know, the, the numbers show that if you do that over the course of your college career, your four-year college career is 65, that's going to be $6,500 max contribution every year. And that turns into like almost $2.5 million just based on the standard S&P performance over the last 100 yeah. years. It's 65 tax-free, and that's life-changing savings that they can actually make a huge dent in just in college by acting responsibly. And so it's a beautiful opportunity for athletes. The nice thing for fans is that we've had donors that be so generous for so long in terms of building buildings and funding scholarships and and doing all this kind of, um, you know, helping with technology, yep. you know, training technology. Now... Um, our fans actually get to have a direct impact on the personnel on the court um, and help mentoring and building these young athletes um, into 
more than what they've ever ruined before and also a direct impact on winning games. So when you look at all those uh, slices of it, this this NIL situation is pretty great. Hopefully we'll get some structure. So, so Hopefully how, there'll be some sanity. How, how, how does somebody help? So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm sitting here and I'm saying I had an exit from yep. a company, I've yep. got some liquidity, I'm a big BYU fan. Yep. How does that person say, I'm going to contact Coach Pope? Yeah. I want to direct my dollars to yep. basketball. I want to help basketball yeah. like excel in the big like what's the process? Yeah, so so there's a there's a there's a ton of different avenues and a ton of different potential um, deals. The NCAA has given four main parameters uh, that we have to work on. Every agreement with a student athlete has to be a quid pro quo meaning there's got to be um, a give and take on both sides. It's yep. got to be written in a contract. There are certain parameters. If you're a corporate sponsor with BYU, whether you can use the logo, use the athlete in uniform uh, or not. Um, but the simplest way is for uh, people that want to be involved, um, if they want to contact me directly or go through the Royal Blue directly. So okay. the Royal Blue is a freestanding entity uh, that's... that's um, uh, separate from the university, which is which is required, but um, I'm actually allowed to go fundraise for the Royal Blue. That's been uh, super cool. That's been um, so uh, like the one that I did. Is yes. that through Royal Blue? That's Am I, Royal I'm, Blue. I'm putting my money in Royal Blue. Yep, and then that. So finds its way to the basketball program. Yeah. And so through the Royal Blue, um, they'll work uh, agreements out with student athletes where they can come represent your company. They can come uh, make appearances um, with your family or your corporation or whatever. Uh, they can distribute um, capital like uh, through their corporate sponsorship agreement. The Royal Blue has a corporate sponsorship agreement with BYU where they can um, distribute tickets. Um, and so... Uh, there, there's a, there's, there's every possible avenue to make an agreement through the Royal Blue, and and all this stuff like wasn't you know point of the podcast like the the today and what's going on today, that's not like the stuff that I'm the most interested in, but yeah. I think it's relevant, and I yep. think I think anybody that I think 2023 is so interesting because me as a fan, I can actually like impact yep. like and I very rarely has that ever been the case where there's like that direct connection between like, if I wanted to, I could actually like help. Yep. I could, I could be a part of this. And, and I think that's so cool, both for the yeah. players and for the, the program. Yep. Um, super interesting. Do you think about our team right now? So our team right now at this early point in the season, ranked number 19 in the country. So cool. Um, uh, you know, we're undefeated right now. Um, we're bringing national attention to BYU. These players are playing great. And, and we're probably at the bottom of the NIL food chain this year. As far year. as capital. What's interesting is some people think about, um, you know, we've had this, people talk about the G-Wagon phenomenon. Like, I don't want to put a bunch of money into the Royal Blue so that now guys are rolling to the games in a G-Wagon. And that's actually not the way we're functioning at BYU at all. Um, the, the, you know, our guys are approaching the, this this potential income in an incredibly responsible, life-building, life-altering way. I could go into great detail player by player about the extraordinary things they're doing. The trick for us is is how do we retain these players? Yeah, um, because now there, it's an open market. There's there's free agency every single year. You know we have really good players. Uh, they're in the national spotlight right now. When the portal opens after the season this year, certainly guys have to go have a conversation about their market value. Yeah. And so it's not really nil for us at BYU. It's not about going out and 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 winning 
bidding wars. It's more about we have really good players who love BYU, and can we make it a reasonable financial choice for them to stay at BYU where they're not foregoing two or three or four hundred thousand dollars somewhere else to stay at BYU? I think that's a heavy ask of, of yeah, I, any young. I, I think my mentality is different. I'm just like it, it's embarrassing, honestly, for me. Like, it, and this is just like. Got some distance as a fan. I'm not in it. I'm not emotionally connected. But I'm like, it's embarrassing. Like, there's people who love BYU, who have a tremendous amount of money and aren't helping. I'm like, that to me is embarrassing. I'm like, if you really care, like, let's go compete. Like, let's go get the resources. And regardless of how they're utilized, like, we can put a plan together. And there's like a hundred different, like, I and there is no right answer right now. But you got to have the pie. And if you go triple or quadruple the pie, you got a lot more options. And so I think that's the one for me, like from an outsider looking in, I'm like, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Like we, we should, we're, we're better yeah. than we're doing and we should be better. I think a lot of it's ignorance. Mm-hmm. Even just for me yes. as somebody that the only reason I gave money was because you asked me. Yep. Yep. That was it. Yep. And I'm like, that shouldn't be like, we. there should be some education and there yeah. should be, you know, and so hopefully you know, with disruption, there's an opportunity to get in front of it. And I think the big thing is just getting the word out and saying, Hey, we need your help yeah. and come help. We want your help. We want you to be involved. So anyway, that, that anyway, when we think about fan bases, as we evaluate the college landscape, there's two things that you have to have as a fan base to be really successful in the NIL space. One is you have to have capacity. We have ridiculous capacity as yeah. a BYU fan base, like nationwide. It's insane. It's insane. The capacity we have. And the second thing you have to have is devotion. And we got insane devotion. Every arena we go to in the Big 12 this year, every place we go, it's gonna there's going to be two sections that yep. are sold out with BYU fans, not that travel, that actually live there. Yeah. In that sense, we're different than every other university in terms of our devotion. The biggest challenge for us right now is, we also are a rule-following fan base. And so for us, the truth is, is that, and I don't know if, you know, the truth is, is that um, um, players have been being illegally compensated at a lot forever. of universities yeah, for a forever. long time, right? Yeah. And so, But this is a seismic shift for yeah. a BYU fan base for us to wrap our head around it. So, you know, um, we're making huge progress right now. We have a great momentum because people like you have jumped in in a huge way. And and I expect that we're going to win this space and we're going to actually win it in a better way. Well, you can win it in a better way, but is. it's embarrassing. Like yeah. I like this is just me venting. Yeah. But like when I, I look at it, it, I'm like, preach, brother. guys have a ton of money. Yeah. Guys and gals. They love BYU. Like help. Yeah. You don't need to go give. $500,000, but go give 10,000, yep. go give 5,000, go give a thousand, go help. If you're going to buy season tickets, like match that and help yep. and, and go actually give the team the resources to, you know, and, and again, like these players, like yep. I love how conscientious and thoughtful with the Roth IRAs and all of the different programmatic stuff that it's, you know, you're, you're helping somebody go develop long-term. Yeah. I actually like the mentorship stuff. Yeah. I think the mentorship stuff is a cop-out. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to go mentor 10 people. It's like, well, how about you donate some money and then mentor them? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, any, anyway. like it's, it's super exciting. And, and like I said, there is a way that this works at BYU. I'll give you a great example. So um, I was just with Gideon George last night. So um, he partnered with a super generous uh, uh, NIL partner here at BYU. 
And so what they did was they started a tuk-tuk company. It's a cab company in Nigeria, in, oh, yeah. in Nigeria. Yep. And so it's an unbelievable, sustainable business plan where it was startup money. It was almost like his own private series A, right? Yep. Where this donor came in, this, this NIL partner came in and said, all right, let's start it. We're going to start it. You're going to grow it. And here we go. And they've doubled the size of the company in a year and a half yeah, right awesome. now. And he has an impact. He has like a, a social impact and a financial impact and a growing business. Like one of the most charitable things, I, I think you have to agree, one of the most charitable things that we can do is start a business. 100%. It employs people, yep. it gives people purpose. And it's also changed Gideon's life and changed his fa family's life. And so you think about, um, that is that is straight up dollars, but it's straight up dollars that are not being spent on a G wagon. They're spent on life changing, yep. business growing entrepreneurship. I could give you. I mean, we could go down a list of our players and what they're I mean, doing. Keep going. And those it. stories win, man. When you when I when I get to go into a home and talk to a family about not just receiving a check but becoming an owner, like that's a powerful word in most yep. of the places that I go into. No, oh, it's incredible. So let's shift gears um, from today. I, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to hear the. I want to hear the Mark Pope story. So where'd it all begin? Like, <sighs> what, what, where's home? Yeah, parents, family life. Uh, thirty thirty second uh, was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Moved to New York when I was when we when I was six months old and went to elementary school and and started junior high school in New York. Some of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, loved living there. And then my dad moved uh, was with Union Pacific Railroad and took a job with Burlington Northern Burlington Research. It was changed to Burlington Resources in Seattle. So we moved out of the Northwest and and went and to you, high school you, there. You, you were how old? On uh, that move? Junior high school when we moved to the West Coast. Hard move. Um, it was a great move. Okay. It was just, it was a, it was a, it was like a, a life altering, life shifting move. Part of it was kind of the age that we were in. Yeah. Um, but, but that's kind of where we really embraced all the opportunities that, that were open to us in terms of athletics and academics and social. And, Cause you had, you had how many siblings? Uh, f I had three older brothers and two younger sisters. Okay. So you were right in the middle. Yep. And, um, it was a, it was a life changing move there and. And uh, kind of, we, it was when we really immersed ourselves as as siblings and kind of everything that the world had to offer. And and um, so you guys thrived in Seattle. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, really, really thrived. Okay, it, it was it was really beautiful, and life was just a little bit easier. New York life is hard, man. It's, you know, you're just you're just fighting to kind of get from point A to point B so much. Yeah, yeah. And I love that city; it's my favorite place in the world, but. Um, you know, moving away to Seattle and Seattle was just a, at the time it wasn't Seattle. We know now it was, it was just a, you know, kind of a city on the rise Emerging. and yes. Yeah. And yeah. It was younger. It was pre-tech, right? Seattle. And, um, and so it was a beautiful experience there. And then, and then, uh, you know, um, ended up going to the university of Washington for and, two and, years. And you excelled in high school, right? Yeah. J yeah. Just basketball or other yeah. sports? Um, uh, you know, I was, a my lifelong dream was I was tracking cross country guy, Sebastian Coe. If, if I don't know if anybody would know that name, but uh, Olympic uh, champion, 800 meter runner. It was my hero growing up. Uh, uh, great, you know, great Britain had this great middle distance running tree and, and I love competing in track and field. And I didn't realize you were yeah. that track and field was part yeah. of it. It was actually a great way to grow up. It was it was the bedrock, kind of the foundation of my athletic world. One of the great things about running is there is nowhere to hide. It is just sheer guts it's and grit. training and yeah. grit, right? It's just pure. It is, it is, you know, 
Um, it's, it's not heavy on a skill element. Of course there are like, as you get in elite levels, there's all you know, it becomes more complicated, but in it's, it's purity is, it's just, it is just hard training and, 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 and guts. But who got you into that? Is that um, it's mom super, and dad? Yeah, is mom that and like, dad. So we got there and my, we moved to Seattle. My dad was like, I got to get the kids involved in something. So it was a fun run, you know, and we had kind of done some amateur running in New York and so we, you know, competed in one or two races, I think, my whole life, just really amateur. And so we moved to Seattle, and there was the Nordstrom uh, Kids Run, the headquarters of Nordstrom Stores in Bellevue. And and um, so Dad just signed us up, and he started his training and jumped in the in the run and, and um, did really well. And there was a, a really competitive uh, track and field team Um uh, that, that kind of saw me there and that recruited me. And we went the first time and started training as Cascade Striders. And, and I haven't said that word, that name in a long time. You're how old? Um, I was, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, ten, something it's like crazy. that. It's crazy. So your first like athletic, yeah. like competitive experience competitive, was track. A hundred percent. I had yep. no idea. And it was a great background for training because you just learned to work. You just learned the work, and there was nowhere to hide from it. In fact, I'll tell you a really embarrassing story. It was a really growing experience for me. So I didn't love it. You know, I didn't love the work, and, um, but, but I, was, I was naturally pretty good at it. And so my dad had set up a training regimen for me, and, um, and I guess this is when I was nine. And, and um so I would come home from school and he'd set out, you know, kind of a workout schedule and I was doing it sometimes and not doing it sometimes and not being super honest about doing it or not doing it. And uh, dad actually, one day, he, you know, he'd take me into the office one day a year, which is super fun, go to downtown Seattle. And he had a big workout fitness center in there. So he just went and set me up on the treadmill yeah. um, and programmed it to kind of do the run that I should be able to do right at that point. And I was a couple months into training and hadn't been very diligent. And dad just set me up and went to work and then came back 20 minutes later and I was dying. He's like, dying. are you okay? You feel sick? And I was like, well, you know, I actually haven't been doing the training. And it was just like, it just was a, it was a, it was a, you know, I felt all the things you might imagine. I felt shame and I felt embarrassment. I felt it was just a life altering experience for me forever. It changed my life forever. And it just tied in this idea of work and success. It tied them together so tightly in my oh, nine-year-old mind. That's so profound. It changed the trajectory of my life. It, it, it was, it was, I, I'm thinking about my nine-year-old. My, yeah. my, my daughter had her ninth birthday yesterday. Yeah. And I'm like, to think that like that crossroads mm -hmm. impacted your whole yeah. life. I'm like, man, I got to yeah. be a better dad. <laughs> and I'm not even like aware of this. I'm like, oh, she's yeah. doing her thing. You know what I mean? It's like. Well, and that was that, exactly how my dad was rolling, too. He's just like, hey, here's the workout. Go do it. Are you doing it? How's it going? I'm like, oh, dad is doing great. That impact. But I think it was you. a combination. Like, my dad is the most honest person I've ever met in my life. It's 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 the, one of the greatest gifts that he ever gave me. And to, and to a hard, in a hard side, too, where it's hard to be honest. He just is, like, the definition of honesty to me. And so I almost think that the connection was forged not so much because it was like I wanted to work or I wanted to be successful. It was so much because... Like, I know that about my dad. Like, he would be painfully honest sometimes. He just, and it was one of his greatest gifts. And then here I was in this moment, I was being dishonest, and it was just like, it just washed over me. I was like, I never want to be in this space again. And as a, as a byproduct, it was this, it turned into this kind of like, like work is, I, you know, I, 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 it just is, 
it kind of the foundation of everything that that we do and i love it and it's just it's a beautiful home for me right so now. learn to work learn to compete when did basketball come into the picture? So I was I was um, I was playing you know playing all sports. I was playing football and basketball and running track, cross country. But track cross country was my home. That was and, your thing. And um, even my freshman year in high school, it was where I was. And, and uh, my high school coach came to me after my cross country season was in the fall, and then I had my sophomore basketball season. That when I was starting to get recruited and it was starting to get garner some attention. And, and my coach, who I love, will love forever. He got me and my dad together after the season. He's like, hey, it's time to it's time to shut the other stuff down. Like you could have a future in this game. Wow. And, and we probably need to do it. So it was it was after my sophomore season. So he knew. And then we went straight. Yep. But did you know? Like, did you like could you kind of feel it at that point? Like, um, hey, I, I could I could be really good at this. I didn't know what any of it meant because I yeah. didn't really grow up in an athletic family. It, yeah. it wasn't like our DNA. Like I like the the you know the the families that we see now. I mean, I think about Leanne. I'm yeah. like, she grew up. She her grew dad up. was a coach. Yes, you know, like that. That that was their DNA. Where yeah. for you, that was so foreign. It to wasn't. Me. It, it was wasn't. foreign to our family. Yeah. Like the idea of recruiting was so foreign to us. Like we didn't know what it was supposed to look like or what it meant or if it was real. Um, but but I was blessed. Rich Belcher was my high school coach. He's a, a Hall of Fame coach um, in the state of Washington and. Uh, he's also a dear friend. Uh, you know, I, I make it back to Seattle uh, once a year at least, find find recruiting or something to do there, and or go go see. You know, I have some family still in Seattle, and and we'll go to Little John's and have breakfast. It's one of my favorite things to do. I mean, with he's got to he's got to be like so proud of me. Yeah, and he's because um, you kind of like yeah. his kid a little bit. He changed like, my life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like that that relationship, especially that age. Yeah of coach and yeah. it's just special you know, you know my, what i mean my dad was my first coach and i didn't really recognize it because he's my dad right yeah. but coach belcher was um and i had great coaches wallace johnson uh was a was a au coach for me that was great but coach belcher um without me knowing it subconsciously he was the first coach that i had where i I just started to understand the influence that coaches would have on my life because he changed my life in a lot of ways. Interesting. So you catch root, mm-hmm. give up some of these other things. When was it like, oh man, I'm I'm on the scene or like the 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 recruiting started? Because I mean you yeah. you you went and yeah. played at yeah, so so my first two years, so I was recruited by everybody in the country. Yep, um, I was and could have really gone anywhere, right? Yep. Could have gone anywhere. Like North to Carolina, yep. Duke, Kentucky. Yep, um, North Carolina was my dream. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, like that never became a reality. Um, uh, Duke was casually uh, recruiting, but, but never offered. Um, Kentucky was all in, kind of from the beginning. They with were Coach all Patino. in. Yeah, um, you know, Syracuse, Jim Beheim uh, was all in. Um, Arizona was a great program at the time. Real good. Uh, still yeah. continues to be a great program. And so it was kind of all over the map. Um, ended up deciding to go to Washington because I fell in love with, with uh, Lynn Nance, who was a former FBI narcotics officer, uh, turned turned basketball coach, and was everything that you would expect. Was just a tough, hard nosed Midwest, no nonsense um, coach, and kind of had this idea that uh, with with some other um, players in the state of Washington, we, we all kind of jumped on that band. We thought, man, we're going to go in there and and bring back University of Washington basketball. And so we we had a pretty good class that all committed together. 
I was there for two years. After my sophomore year, uh, coach got fired. We failed miserably. I had some personal uh, accolades, but we couldn't win at the level we needed to. It was probably the hardest um, two years of my basketball life. He's getting drummed. A ton of tears. Yeah. A ton of frustration. So disappointing. And but then you played great, right? Like, like, yeah, you, like I, personal performance. Yeah, you played good. Personally, played well, but just wasn't good enough to to win. Yeah. And um, and when coach got fired, it was it was it was terrible. It was actually another one of those seismic moments in my life where I'm like, I couldn't do it. I loved him. I love him. We still, you know, we still are in contact all the time. And that was it. Yeah. That's what like, and I said, just, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And and he got fired and it just, I, I couldn't stay. It just felt wrong to stay without him. It was just devastating time and it was really hard. And, um, and so then I transferred to Kentucky. Um, and, and I, I it was an unbelievable blessing for me in the sense that I got to see, you know, Kentucky was on the uptick. A coach had just been to a Final Four. They yep. ended up losing to Michigan. Yep. Um, and, you know, Kentucky is the center of the basketball world. I mean, it, there's nowhere like it. it. It is just, it is, I've never seen it, anything like it. So I was at Washington where we really struggled, couldn't win, didn't have a fan base, didn't have any of the, that experience. That magic. Couldn't play in the tournament, didn't win games, Yo. no national attention. And I got to see the the toughest side of college basketball. And then I rolled into the Taj Mahal of college basketball at the University of Kentucky. And and I I, I actually appreciate it more than anybody else was there because nobody you, else yeah, for knew. Sure, for they sure. didn't know how the rest of the world was living at the time. Isn't that crazy how that works? Like, I, I think about this all the time. I, I probably think about this more than I should, about kind of this concept of life is happening for you and mm. not to you. And yep. there's this bigger plan. Yep. And you think about, like, your journey and you think about, that Washington piece in your journey. It's like, well, you could have gone Kentucky as a freshman, but going after you experienced Washington probably changed your career. Like fundamentally, because the, the, the appreciation of what you had is probably different. Yeah. it, It didn't only change my career. It just changed my life. And what I mean by that is had I gone straight to Kentucky I never under I don't have any I don't have any context for what I'm experiencing at Kentucky. Yeah. Right. And and I just think, you know, I mean, in Book of Mormon, you know, we we read out opposition in all things, right? And there's a purpose because if we don't have context to our life, we lose the richness of it. We lose sure. the beauty of it. Like we just do and and it's one of the things that I think about, you know, I think about this. I, I have this big, huge kick I'm on right now about we get distracted. You know, we're trying to chase achievement instead of chasing becoming. And there's yeah. a huge difference. Big difference. And if we live our whole life in achievement, like we lose all the context of life and we really stifle our opportunity to become. And as parents, we do that sometimes. And it's so painful. There is nothing more painful than being a parent of an athlete in the sense of like, you just sit there in the the stands and you're just like, you know, you just want, you, parents in every aspect, like we just want to protect our children. And we're doing such a disservice to our children. To not let them fail. By, not, by, let them. by not letting them fail, yeah. man. By yeah. not letting them feel the hardship. By not letting them feel the moments of despair. Yeah. And because, because, 
if we're going to become something, it's going to be built on the despair. It's going to be built on the self-recognition and the shame that comes from understanding dishonesty or, or, or avoiding work or being in the dregs of the basketball world so you can understand how yep. great it is to be in the best. Like if we spend too much time saving our kids rather than let, in, instead of, you know, by far, by by kind of backdooring achievement for them, yep. instead of letting them become, yep. giving them the space to like fail and become, it's just as a service. And, and that experience at Washington on the bad side of basketball and Kentucky at the Taj Mahal was, was, um, was really meaningful to me. Talk to me about Coach Patino. What type of what type yeah. of like man was he? What type of coach? What did yeah. you learn from Coach? I love him. Uh, like he, he uh, I, you know, you think about the coaches that impacted my life. We talked about, you know, my dad and Wallace Johnson and Rich Belcher, and then and certainly Lynn Nance. But then I think about Coach Patino, and um, he he impacted my life in an incredible way and a really tough way. It, it doesn't really it can't exist anymore in the world. But um, he was because he was hardcore, right? Oh my gosh. Like it was survival. Like it was, it was basketball boot camp every day, 365 days a year, oppressive pressure. And it was relentless pressure. And it was like picking you to pieces every single second of every single day and crushing you, crushing your spirit, crushing everything about you. Um, and it was just, you know, I mean, you know, you come out of practice every day and be like, I hate him so much. Yeah. It was so tough. and um, But you loved him. Yeah, well, after the fact you do because he changed. Because like, of who you became. You know, I, I say this all the time, and I don't really, it, I know this is, this is, you know, scientifically not correct, but it's, it's an illustration. He literally changed the DNA of how I was made as a human being. And he made it so I could walk into any room in any because situation. Because his standards were that high. Yeah. And you, I, you can walk into any room in any situation, even if you're a fish out of water, and you know what? I can figure this out, and I can survive this. And any trial or any difficult, you're like, hey, I can stand up tall because I know I can find a way to survive wow. this. Because he forced you to do that in such an oppressive, tough I, environment. I, 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 I hear this so many times, and I hear it from a lot of people and I think generationally, like, there was a window where that stuff mm, could fly. Yeah. And it can't in 2023. Can't. It's just a different world. It's like the the these old school coaches, the Bobby Knights and the, you know, the, it just wouldn't, yeah. with social media yeah. and with the transfer, like with, with the world that you live in, it's more like a professional coaching yeah. job than a, For sure. you know, this kind of amateur yeah. Kind of, but I look at like the benefits. My daughter, and this is a completely different scenario, but my daughter, she does competitive cheer mm -hmm. at a local program, and they're like nationally like recognized. Yeah. Like they they won the national championship last yeah. year. But I look at my thirteen year old daughter, and it's kind of old school, yeah. like and the parents get pissed and, and, but I'm, and there's part of me that's like, it is pretty hardcore. She's yeah. 13. Yeah. But then I also like see who she's becoming yeah. and she's getting strong emotionally yeah. and breaks down to tears, yeah. but she shows back up and I'm yes. like, oh, I kind of like this. I, yeah. I kind of like the lessons that this, this girl is being taught at yeah. a young age. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, how do you strike that balance yeah. in 2020? 
three yeah. as a coach that this is your DNA, yeah. like yeah. that hardcore, yeah. I am going to exact the highest standards, yeah. but also like you got to yeah. navigate the world that you live in. Well, I, I, th I think it's a better time now, actually. I think it's better. I think that, um, I think that the, the way we used to do this was a little bit low hanging fruit in the sense of like, it, it would, um, and, and like I said, I love coach P like I, I, I owe like so much of who I am to coach. P. I love him man. I, I love him. I'm a huge, I just owe him so much. I think now we just have to be more nuanced in how we do it. And, and there's beautiful ways to do it. You know, we talk about our daughter. So my, uh, you know, you, and I think the way we can do it is we can just not save our children from failures, yeah. but just be there to like help lift them up from the fail. Almost be, ex almost be grateful for the moments when they fail because then they get to learn uh, in our house before yeah. they're on our own. They get to learn how to pick themselves up and how to kind of manage it and how to, you know, face people the day after they've had a terrible loss yeah. and still do it with class and charisma and confidence, right? And and kind of all, all those things. Uh, my daughter, Avery, is playing tennis at BYU right now. She kind of, we're not tennis parents. We don't know anything about tennis. She kind of got into tennis late, but when she first started, I was like, this is insanity because there's no line judges. So you have these two 11-year-old girls out there calling, like, calling lines and then having to stand up for themselves or have the courage to call it out when it's really out and, and then take a beating from people in the stands or whatever. And and when I first, the first year I saw it, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in athletics, right? But after a year, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever because what I got to see was I got to see my daughter stand start up. to stand up for herself. And like, not just stand up for herself, but actually be able to keep her wits about herself when she was like, that's not fair. And like, have the courage to wow. be like, to stand up and say, that's not right. You know, in, ten in, in tennis, are you sure? Or it's like, I'm going to get a line judge or that's not the right call and actually stand up wow. in front of people in a competitive environment, do that. And you got you got to like own it. Oh, it's, stand on your own it's a beautiful thing. And so, but I, you know, I, I don't know, like I'm far from an expert on parenting, but but I do think that I've seen this over and over again. And, and that's kind of the way we do that in this generation you know, in, 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 in our generation growing up, it was kind of this, cause there was no, you know, like my parents were not letting me transfer from Kentucky. Like, it's like, no, I this mean, is where yeah, you yeah, are, man. Yeah. This is what you signed I, up for. And this I think about so many of those things. I think about like, you know, my, my business partner, Dave, he had kind of this iconic coach in Vegas yeah. and they won, you know, multiple state championships yeah. and Bryce Harper played for him yeah. and like just a really great program. But this guy's crazy. Yeah. I mean, like the stuff that, like would go on in that program, yeah. like he'd go to jail now, you know? And so it's like <laughs> yeah. one of those things, but for Dave, it shaped him. Yeah. Like it built like this toughness yeah. and this discipline. And they just, they, they had this resolve and this pride. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was pride that they'd done hard things that yeah. they, they were willing to do harder things yeah. than anybody else. And when they showed up to compete, mm -hmm. they had this swagger, you know, and I, anyway. And just this confidence that you can, not this confidence that you can win every time, but this confidence you're like, I've been knocked down before. And that like I'm practice was so much harder than yeah. this game. Oh, like this game gosh. has not like this game's a cake, this game's yes. a cakewalk. See, like I've I've killed yes. myself in practice, yes. you know. I mean, that's the gold. Like that's the good stuff. Yeah. And so that's the idea, you know, that's the idea of achievement. So for example, like, you know, when we when we're when we're so desperate to to have achievement every time. 
that we find all the workarounds, you know, and I'm thinking about parents with children, but you can think about it in any environment, all the workarounds towards achievement. And sometimes it steals our ability to become. That's that's where oh, we sure. experience the failure no, it, and grow it, from the failure. It, it, and coaching, there's so many parallels in life, yeah. both being a player and being a coach. Yeah. And I, I even think about like myself and like my life and, you know, the prosperity that we live in that I didn't live in growing up and how do I not screw up my kids? Yes. Like, yeah. like the struggle that I had growing up yeah. was mandatory. Yeah. Like they're, they're like, my parents weren't going to like kick in and go pay for my, They didn't have the money. So it was just never a conversation. So I figured it out, you know, but like, and so it's, and I think it's hard as a parent it's because awkward. like when you see your, like someone you love more than anybody else hurting, yeah. You want to like stop the pain. Yes. Oh, yes. You that, do. that that's a, like a hard dynamic. But or you want right to make an excuse, or you want to, yeah, but and you stop the pain by making an excuse, right? Or like facilitating getting them out something. of the pain yeah. versus having them get themselves out of the pain. Yeah. And the right move is to have them self, have yeah. them get themselves. That's yeah. where you build the muscle. That's where yes. you build the capability. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Fun growing, man. Hey, so go to Kentucky. Yep. Where'd you go from there? Had an unbelievable experience in Kentucky. So uh, we we won a national championship my senior year. Um, it was it was. Uh, like, I mean, how did that feel? Like nothing else. It was like it was, it was is incredible. It, is that like I get to take that with me forever? Like, I mean, the, like, the fun stuff is you know we're in the Meadowlands, so we're in New York, right? Yeah. We're in New Jersey, just across the river, and and uh, it was the last time they had the game, uh, the the national championship, the Final Four in a non dome. Because tickets were scalping for you know ridiculous amounts of money, it was only you could only fit eighteen thousand people in the gym. Wow, if you can imagine tiny. that, it was tiny. And it was um, you know we're playing uh, Syracuse in the national championship it's game. Their so new, yeah, it's hometown. Yeah, hometown. And uh, it's you know Kentucky had it'd been twenty years since they'd won one, and so Kentucky. And who are your so teammates starving. at this point? Like like who were the? I had nine NBA players on my team. You Come think about on. that. Nine of our players played. In fact, on that team we had we had nine players playing the NBA eventually, and and eight of us played at least seven years, which is crazy. Come on. So it's uh, Antoine Walker and Tony Delk and Walt McCarty and Derek Anderson and Ron Merce. I mean, you know, these are all, uh, you know, um, every single one of them was a McDonald's All-American. And it, it was it was an unbelievable team. It was, you know, you, you know, we were probably in the top three, four, five teams Ever. in the history of college basketball. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, we, we had have, had a devastating loss the year before to go to the Final Four to North Carolina. And so the whole group came back and it was just Wasn't guys on a again. mission. And, yeah. and, um, and so to win that, and then, you know, you have all the experience after I'll never forget being in the locker room. Uh, some, some things I'll never forget. We're in the locker room after and, um, CM Newton, who's a giant in the basketball world was our AD. And he, he said this, he said, you guys, this is sweet, uh, right now. This feels sweet. But the beautiful thing about an accomplishment like this, it'll get sweeter every day for the rest of your life. And that's certainly borne out to be true. You've just been able to carry that with you. And then we're doing media, you know, until 3 o'clock in the morning. We, we finally get on the bus. We just, you know, it's just a 15-minute a drive to our hotel. We get to the hotel, and, like, we couldn't, you couldn't get off the bus. Like, we literally could get out of this. Like, the, the 20 feet from the bus to the elevator, like, it took it took an hour, and it wasn't it wasn't talking to people. So it was just a mob of humanity. That you was move. just like, so I, excited. I was sure I was going to pass out. And then we, because um, were you and Leanne married at this time? No, no, I had, so, met, so I had met. I had met. You were single. Yeah. Oh my god. And then we uh, 
we flew, you know, we stayed in, in New York that morning and then, then we uh, flew back and we land in Lexington. It's like a seven mile drive from the airport. Airport, there's thousands, thousands of people. And then the whole drive is like cars lining both sides of the highway, people with signs crying, drove the bus right into Rupp Arena. Oh Rupp Arena's gosh. packed, dropped a banner. It was really, it was amazing. Go to the White House, did the whole, the whole thing was, was really incredible. Um, and, and so that was it. That was an unbelievable experience. Um, and then it was just on. And then, then, um, miraculously got drafted in the second round with four guys got drafted that year. And then a bunch of the guys got drafted the next year. But how um, much do you think you going to Kentucky impacted you being able like to be able to play with those players, yeah. play under that coach, everything. It was everything for me. So, and you know, I barely got drafted the tail in the second round, but, but being with those guys prepared me to go, to go play um, at that level, to go play at that level. Yeah. And, you know, and I was, a, I was a barely hanging on by my fingernails in the league. I got to st stay around for a long time and played on great teams. But you were there how long? Um, I played eight years in the league, a couple years overseas. Oh, that, no, that's like, that's real time yeah. in the league. Like it, that. the average yeah. player is what, two, two, yeah, or, three? two or three years. Yeah. Um, it was, but like I said, I was a, ter I was a terrible, a terrible player, but um, I got to be with great program. So my, I, I was drafted by the Pacers, um, went to training camp, ended up getting a job in, uh, for a really good team overseas. Wasn't going to play with the Pacers anyway. So Donnie Walsh is like, go take it, man, go play. We keep your rights. You come back next year. So I, so I go play there, come back the next year, Larry Brown, who's the head coach of the Pacers who drafted me has been fired. And Larry Bird has been hired. Who come had on. No interest in me. No, no affiliation with me. So I'm like, I'm coming and they still have my rights, but the guys who drafted me are They're not gone. still there. And that, that's never a good outcome. And it's Larry Legend, right? Yeah. Larry Bird the is goat. my coach. You got the GOAT. And so I go to training camp. Um, I go to training camp, uh, just a rookie free agent camp in J in July, the very end of July. And it's just a three-day training camp. And just like played out of my mind, like better than I've ever played before. And went with them this summer and... I mean, I'm every day I'm like, I can't believe Larry Bird almost talked to me, talked to the guy next to me, but that means he was almost talking to me and it was epic. So I was with them for two years, uh, a great Pacers team. In fact, the last dance, um, if you've seen the documentary, Michael yeah. Jordan, uh, that was my rookie year. And we lost to them in game seven of the Eastern wow. Conference Finals. You had them. And just got to, my first experience in the league was with some of the greatest vets of all time, Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson and Rick Smith. They just, so you walked in the league and they teach you how to be a pro. And I, it was, I was so blessed. And then went through this series of getting fired and get a new job and get fired and a new job kind of throughout my tenure in the league. And it was, you know, I, I always say I was the biggest fan to ever actually put on a jersey in the NBA. And it when, was when, awesome. when did when did you meet Lee, uh, Leanne along the way? So um, I knew her older brother, Damon Archibald, was a terrific basketball player, um, played at Boise State okay. and won a NAIA championship at Alberson College. And then he, we had both gone to rookie camp the the indiana pacers and the golden state warriors had a joint camp and so i got i got to know him a little bit and so after my first year with the pacers um i i was at pete newell's camp a legend in basketball in hawaii and dame was coaching the college camp and i was a player in the pro camp and we just crossed paths every day he's like you need to call my sister leanne was uh david letterman's personal assistant in new, in new york and he was like you need to call her next time you go up there let her get tickets to show whatever you know and so 
Um, and so eventually we, we met and then I chased her around for a year and a half and finally convinced her to marry me. And it was magic. I mean, she talk about the greatest, greatest gift of my life. She just is out of this world. Amazing. And like, yeah, what, I mean, now you, you look back and kids raised them out of the house, but like, could you ever have thought, you know? No, I mean, you know, listen, I think we get a chance to look back on our life and see God's hand in our life for sure. I mean, it is just like me, you know, we're in the same neighborhood, you know, Chelsea's friends with your wife and we just like, we admire your family. You guys raised some great kids. You know what I mean? You show up with just like this really incredible energy like I've experienced hard times and yeah. I've experienced the highs yeah. and you'll go through a tough patch coaching yeah. and you show up with the smile and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm like, you guys just have like this great, it feels like you got this great chemistry as a couple yeah. and you created a great culture with your kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's outside of the professional world and, and all those things. Well, that's, that's Lee. I mean, she just is, I'm to, you know, I, I mean, if there's two people that God put on the planet to be together in all our imperfectness and weirdness and whatever, like she is, she is, you know, she's, she's the greatest gift in my life. Right. And she is also born to do what, the, like to be walking the path that we're walking, like our little slice of path in this earth. And because she was raised with it. Right? Yeah. Like, she, like she, she, she knows, knows more what about it's like being married to a coach. In fact, our daughter. first conversation, yeah. this is our first conversation ever on the phone. She's in New York. I'm in Indianapolis. I call her. She just had completed the New York marathon. You know, this is the introduction. Like literally she had just completed a couple hours ago. I didn't know really anything about her other than she was living in New York. And so we're talking, we probably talked for 45 minutes and she, and I'm talking to her about, um, you know, I'm an NBA basketball player. I won a national championship in college. You're right? feeling good. I'm like, the, <laughs> I, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I know hoops. <laughs> And then so she starts talking to me about so we ran got on this random situation where this this guy she knew gray shirted, and I'm like oh you mean red shirted? She's talking about college. No no he gray shirted. I'm like no there's no gray shirt. She's like yes there is. And she started explaining to me the rules of college basketball. And sure enough she was right. And I was like come on she knows so much more about this game <laughs> of basketball than I'll ever know. Like and she did live it, and um it, and she, and she loves it and she's got a passion for it and she's so good at it. And so. I mean, from the very first conversation we had, I was like, wow, she way out of my league in every possible category. You're just smitten right out the bat? Like, yeah, like- yeah. Uh, I'll never forget. So um, so I was, uh, these random stories that probably are not that interesting to anybody but me. But So um, it was the lockout. So it was 1998. It was the lockout. And so we missed a couple months of the season. And we're having meetings in New York and Vegas and whatever. And I was a player rep. And so I was flying to to New York. And so I had, you know, this is is so long ago. This is before I had a cell phone. So I called Leanne's number, left her a message. And then, but I'm on the plane. I don't have a, I don't have a way for her to get a hold of me. We had played Fotag. I was in New York for a day, flew home, never connected with her, and get home. This is the first time I hear her voice. So I get home at like 1 o'clock in the morning, walk into my little studio apartment, and, put, you know, this is when you had an answer machine that you actually pushed the button to listen to. And so pushed the answer machine, had a couple messages, and then had three messages from her back to back to back, responding to my calls from like a pay phone or from my, you know, whatever. And 
I must have listened to it five times because if you've met Leanne, she got so much life in her voice. No, of course. And I was just like, I don't know who this person is, but I cannot wait to meet her. But she's got so much life in everything. Oh, like, my gosh. Like you, you see her. She's beautiful. She, yeah. like, and she this takes is, over a room. But this is so hard to remember. Like, this is, I didn't have any idea. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know what she looked like. This was, I couldn't go on Instagram. And, wow. you know, and so, so it's just like, it was just her voice. And I was like, man, I cannot wait to talk to her. And sure enough, you know, a, a few days later, we finally connected on the phone. And, and I was like, wow, she just like nobody I've ever met. It was a, really a blessing. How special is that? I talked to me a little bit about the courting process. Yeah. I remember her telling this story, like her yeah. dad... Her dad wasn't like, uh, like, hey, you know, she she talked about like yeah. different guys that like wanted to kind of come yeah. get to know her. And her dad was a tough cookie. Her dad was really, her dad was really <laughs> tough. So I, you know, it's really interesting. So I knew her dad. Her dad had recruited me to Arizona State okay. when he was at Arizona State, and so I knew him. He had passed away by this time. Okay. And so there's legendary stories of her dad chasing kids out of the house and the whole deal. Um, the, 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 you know, kind of this happened to me over and over again. So I started, to, we started talking on the phone. And then Trent Johnson, who was an assistant coach for me when I was at Washington, dear friend of mine, mentor of mine, um, went out and have a great coaching career all over the country. So he got his first job with Lynn Archibald. So Lynn was coaching at the wow. University of Utah, and he was an assistant for Lynn. In fact, he lived in their basement for a couple of months while he was trying to get established. Tough, tough dude. Uh, great human being. So w w Leanna and I have been talking for like three weeks, and Trent calls me just to check in, and, and we're just chatting about how things are going with the Pacers and everything else. And he's like, so I heard you um, – I heard you uh, were talking to this Leanne Archibald. And I was like, yes. And he's like, you know, I work for her dad. I was like, I didn't know that, Trent. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I got the greatest in. Trent loves me. Like, he's going to help me. You know, he gonna, he's going to help me get this done. Yeah. And then the next thing out of words out of his mouth is like, if you mess up with this girl, I will kill Come you. Come on. Because she's like my daughter. Like, and, and it, it wasn't like a hey, every, we're homies. It was like a, nobody was on my side. <laughs> it was like everybody was. And so, uh, how great is that? Yeah, it was, it was really great. And, and it was fun for us. So, um, you know, she had a crazy schedule with Dave, um, but, but she would get uh, like Friday night, Saturday, Sunday off. And so um, we had it cooking at some point where it was almost like between. Uh, playing at Boston and playing the Knicks and playing the Nets and playing Philly. Um, You've seen each other quite a bit. Yeah, so every time I go out there, yeah. she could swing by and see Because it's so small. It's so tight. And and it's then, so close. And then Dave started a massive philanthropic uh, project program in Indianapolis. That's where he's from. His mom lived there. Yeah. And so Lee was flying in once a month to do that. And so we saw each other almost every week, and it was magic, man. It was great. Wow. How, how cool is that? So fa fast forward to how do you get into coaching? Yeah, because you're you're a you're one like playing ball at an elite level, but there's a big difference between playing ball and coaching ball. Yeah, and very few people like that. There's not too many that can be great players and also great coaches. You know, even like some of the greatest players aren't very good coaches. Like what what was that transition like? My well, my I never wanted to coach. I, I just I, I just felt like I don't want to coach. I'm not gonna coach. My whole playing career I never was coach. And 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 after I finished, you know, it was I was winding up my NBA career, which I was I, you know, I'd uh 
gone back and done post-bat classes uh, all over, kind of with every team I was. It, you know, I'd end up doing post-bat classes at Marquette and NYU and Columbia yeah. and, and DU. And and um, and then I took the MCAT uh, before my last year, before I got fired the last time. So you're going to go to medical school. Yeah. Wow. And so when I got fired the last time from the Nuggets, I got fired seven times in the NBA. <laughs> Super proud of that. And... Uh, and when I got for the last time, we we just packed. Does that up. just blow you? Like that's your life, you know. You're yeah. like literally. You're like I will get fired in the next yeah. like twelve to twenty four yeah. months, like yeah. it, and maybe six months. I wasn't scared of it. I mean, it was just like, yeah, I'm gonna get fired. It's kind of another job. Man. Go get another one. <laughs> and it sounds easy now. It was really hard then. Oh, you're. But like when I talk about Coach Patino changing my life, that's the way he changed my life. That's it's how like, you, you got know resilient. What? I'm a I'm a go and 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 it's devastating. I mean, I talk about I laugh about it now, but. Every time you get let go, every time you get fired, it is devastating. It is just like you're just on the f- mat, right? And and you wonder if you're ever going to get another job. But also, like, you're laying it on the line. Oh, and, man. like, the org oh. is saying you're not good enough. Yeah, and it's exactly. Like, like, rejection. I don't know think that hurts worse than that. It's rejection. It's public rejection. <laughs> the whole world knows. Like, and everyone, you know, it's, it's but, but, um, you know, the whole process. And, and by the time we finished, by the time we finished, I was really blessed because when George Carl called me in for last, George had hired me twice and fired me twice. And when, when George called me in the last time and, and, you know, cut me, um, it was like, we did it. I, I had this overall feeling like we did it, man. Yeah. Like we did it. Yeah. And so we, uh, we went straight from there to Columbia medical school and, and, um, was at Columbia for, for, for almost, almost starting my fourth year. And, uh, and then we loved every second of it. It's ridiculously challenging and so invigorating, exciting. And, and, um, but probably after my first year at, at medical school, I was like, ah, I don't know if this is exactly what I want to do. And Mark Fox had been a GA for me at Washington. I mean, your careers, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I didn't know any of this stuff. About yeah, you. your career is ridiculous. So that was a that was a, de- a major detour, but it was really meaningful to me. It was kind of like the the University of Washington Kentucky thing. I was there long enough, you know, almost four years in medical school, and I was never, a, you know, I still had ten years left to go to be a doctor. Yeah, but I was there long enough to know that there was something significant that I missed about it, ball I missed about, about sports. It. Yeah, and so Fox, uh, Coach Fox, you know, after my third year, Coach was like. Hey, if you're ever going to make the, we had talked about it kind of on and off. Like, yeah. ah, I don't know if this is what I want to do. I'm thinking about maybe coaching. He's like, if you're ever going to do it, now's the time. He took the job at University of Georgia and was like, if you want to come, now's you the time. You take a GA job? You take I an took assistant a worse job? Than a GA. Come it on. A, it was assistant director of ops. So, so you're literally I wasn't allowed the, to coach. You're starting at the bottom. I was of the doing chain. laundry, handing out water and towels. And, you know, I thought when Coach talked to me about coming to work for him, I was like, ah, he'll make me his head assistant coach. I'm an NBA guy, won a national championship. He made me the assistant director of operations. Two things. One, when I went and told Dean, I walked into Dean Melman's office. She's, she's <laughs> Columbia Medical School, one of the top medical schools in the world now. She's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm starting year four, and I'm like, I'm going to leave. And she she seriously was like, she, like, you're not very smart. We're, she's been so great to me since, but she was like, dude, you've lost your mind. And 
So went with Coach Fox and was with him for a year. That's a big shift. Yeah. Was, like the, like. I don't know how, I don't know. What what were we thinking? What were you thinking? Like talk about <laughs> putting crazy. our whole life on the line. Like there's no more unpredictable career path than coaching. Like it doesn't and make I'm any gonna go rhyme start or reason. And I'm going to go start at the bottom. Yes. Like the, the. As a, I'm 35 or 36 at the time. Insane. That's what insane. What were we thinking? And so, and how, how, how great is Leanne? Like that she's like, yep, let's go. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, my gosh, what were we thinking? We, we shake our heads all the time about that. And then, and then we were super prayerful about it. We felt like we got answers a really, 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 really difficult decision. You guys had how many kids at this point? We had four young daughters. In fact, uh, uh, Shay was born you're while insane. I was in medical you're, school. You're legit insane. And so, like the 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 so. the chops that it takes to make oh, that call. Geez, and, hey, that. but the the other piece that I love about it is like you're not doing that unless you think you can be great at it. Yeah. So there's a and I think this is going back to Coach Patino and I think this is going back to yep. getting fired seven times and it's kind of this like hey I will die on the treadmill mentality like. Yep. I will never quit. No one will, you know what I mean? I think like that, those ingredients end yeah. up being like, put you on any track yeah. and you'll just like work your way to the top. You know, those are success ingredients. I believe in two things. I believe in three things. One, I believe in, in God. I, I believe that he has a plan for us for sure. 100%. Two, I believe in Leanne. Like I believe that Leanne and I can just get off the mat a thousand times. I'm not scared of failing. We've done it so many times. I'm not scared because yeah. because we know we'll get up and we we'll, we know we'll go back to it. And three is like I, I I got a ton of faith in work. Like work doesn't let you down. Yeah. Like work that work doesn't guarantee you the ultimate success. But work, if you work, you can survive. Wow. You can you can go do it right. And and um, and so anyway, so we we walk out of there. I'm with Coach for a year, and he actually he was very purposeful. He was like, hey, I think you're going to be super successful in this business. But if you want to be great at it, then you're going to be better at every single person's job in your organization oh than gosh. they are. And so he's like, you're starting here with the towels and the laundry I mean, and I, the water. I mean, I had a, you know him, Todd Peterson. You know, he's a friend of ours, but that, that was my start. Yep. And I remember going to work at... Um, apex i was 24 years old and it's funny because i i'd started out at this little company and had a lot of success early yep and then that company went bankrupt and i went over and i i felt entitled i i felt you'd already that, done it i felt that i'd checked this box and i remember i was coming to work for todd and i felt that there was a title i felt that there was pay that you know i'd earned yep. and i didn't want to go backwards and i still remember like one of the greatest things that he ever did like you know that guy's a gift you know a gift in my life yep. he, he changed my life but he told the truth and he just said if you want to be great in this organization the people will never respect you yeah. unless you've started at the bottom yep. And it was this humble pie because I actually had uh, other people telling me the opposite. I had other voices that yeah. were saying, you're better than this. Yeah. Oh, you, you can have this office. You can have this title. You can have this pay. But it resonated with me that he was telling the truth. Yep. And I look back at those two roads yep. and I just would never have had the success of my career if I, if I wouldn't have had, you know, a leader that was deliberate and was intentional and, and told the truth, yep. you know? And so I, I hear that and I kind of connect with parallels in my life 
and how impactful it was to start at the bottom and to do those jobs. Don't you feel that like with every person that is, is kind of found some trajectory in their life, don't you find that to be a universal thing? That it's this gift to but kind it's of. it's so hard. Yes. It's so hard. And even like in, in me, like I, I remember it's me and my wife. Yep. Yeah. Me and my wife, we're, we're meeting with Alex Dunn and Todd. <laughs> yeah. And my hard-hearted like brain, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go make less money to do a more menial job. And it was ultimately it was my wife that just said, this is the right thing. And, and I knew, I knew in my heart. But my brain was not there. Yep. And and again, like it is what it like the people that chose the easier route, yep. it was easy first, hard later. Yes. And mine was hard first, easier yes. later. And that's just but it's so hard to teach and yep. it's like equally as hard. Yeah. And so I think that's where like the when you tell this story, like I, I admire uh I have admiration for you guys for making that to trusting the process. Yep. And you must have trusted your friend. Yep, totally. That that he knew. Yeah, you know, and you know, there's so many stories. First, my first kind of takeaway is, like, I'm a big believer in trajectory, and so a lot of times, if you're willing to start at the very bottom, it actually increases the curve, the 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 degree of your trajectory. So expand on that a little bit. So so I think people I think people are attracted to movers. Right. I, I think that I think, you know, in the game of basketball, the ball finds energy. It, it just finds energy. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an age old adage that if you play hard, the ball finds you. And if you don't, the ball doesn't find you. There's only one ball, five players, 10 players on a court. Everybody wants the ball and the ball finds energy. Wow. And I feel the same way in, in like life path in growth path. That is that. The people with the steepest trajectory, okay, that's who, you know, to, to, to confuse these two analogies, the ball finds the people with the steepest trajectory. No, I mean, you and see actually, it. You, you, you can physically see yes. it everywhere, you know. And so, so the miss that I think a lot of us make is we want to start at a mid-level possession, yeah. uh, position where our trajectory, by definition, is going to be more flat. Yeah. But if we go to the bottom then if we really have talent, if we really work like crazy, then we have a chance for our trajectory wow. to be super steep, even though we're starting at a who, lower who, point. Who, who taught you this? Or is this like a personal philosophy? Well, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's just from, from, I think it's just paying attention. I've never heard it articulated and it makes so much sense Doesn't to me. It, like, like for me, you see these rising stars yes. and it's like, they do this, then they do this, then they do this. Like yep. I, I remember listening to Jim Harbaugh's story. Yep. Yeah. He, he, he came out and he, he starts at San Diego. Mm -hmm. He didn't even have a program. Yep. Yep. And then he, he does the right thing there. And then he goes to Stanford and they they were terrible. Yep. And then he wins there. Then he goes to the 49ers and then you end up with Michigan and same thing with uh, Urban Meyer. We yep. had Urban Meyer come and, like he he's he's getting this, you know, he's at Notre Dame yep. and he's looking, he gets an offer at yeah. Bowling Green. Yeah. And he yes. goes back to Lou Holtz and he says, Hey, like, this isn't a very good job. <laughs> right. And Lou Holtz is like, Well, you're not a very good coach. Yeah, it's like, so good. Why do you think they're gonna offer that so to you? That's you're, exactly right. But you like take care of this yep. and it 
opens the door to this. Yep. And, the, and, and what you're describing is that, but I've just never heard that language around it. But I, I think it's, I mean, it's got to be the definition of your entrepreneurship life, right? I mean, that's how it works. Isn't no, I've it? experienced it, yeah. but I've never heard it yeah. like framed like that. Yeah. And it, it, I love it. But I, I do like, if I was going to choose level or trajectory. So if you think about it that way, I, I would always counsel people to do this. If you're going to choose level, meaning the highest level, yeah. or if you're going to choose the highest trajectory, always choose wow. the highest trajectory because momentum Dude, is I'm, real. I'm, I'm telling you, I studied this stuff yeah. like my whole life. I've never yeah. heard it explained yeah. like that. Yeah. And I say, I, I say the same thing for athletes, right? Like, um, you know, in guys, athletic progress, um, right now it's kind of this deal. Like I got to get on the floor right now. I got to, you know, I hear this all the time. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. I hear guys say, I want to be, it's the same thing as a mid-level as a freshman. I need to play 20 minutes a game. I need to play 20 minutes a game. And so, you know, you can force feed a guy 20 minutes a game and, as a freshman. And you've got to experience this all the time because you also have competing voices. Totally, totally. They're saying, I oh, will totally, give you totally. 22 minutes. Yeah. We'll give you 25 minutes. Totally. It's like the option exists somewhere. But you know what I mean? But that's the same equivalent to taking the mid-level job, right? You might not be ready for it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really slow down your growth curve, yeah. right? Or if it's saying, you know what? I'm going to take the two minutes that I can get. I'm going to go crush those two minutes. They're going to be exciting two minutes. And I'm going to build and on when it. I get, when I strike my curve, all of a sudden, I'm going, to, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready to step into my opportunity when it comes. Yeah. And my, my trajectory is going to be really special. And I, I don't know. I, I just think there's some realness that I think we see it over and over. But you did it. So you start like at the bottom. Where did it go from there? Because your, your trajectory... Yeah, so, went like that, didn't it? So I was I was an assistant operations guy for a year, and then Jeff Buzdelic, um, uh, who I had played for with the Denver Nuggets, took the Wake Forest job, and he brought me on as an assistant coach in the ACC. And then um, I was there for one year, and then Dave Rose, uh, coach, was killing it here at, at BYU, and I was excited to come out west and learn wow. from him. And so he let three me years, come. yeah. So third year I was here as an assistant. Come on. And then, I was with coach for four years and then took my first head job at and UVU. At UVU. Yeah. And, and that so, UVU job was crazy. Oh, because, my gosh. Because, like, like, it was awesome. Yeah, it was but, but every you, you bit guys, startup. But you lit that thing on fire. It was, you know, we didn't have a gym. So, our first day of training camp, you know, you're trying to set it. You're, you're going to relate to this so much. So, it's our first day of training camp. You're trying to set a tone. It's my first day of official practice as a head coach, and we're going to change this joint. So, we didn't have a gym to practice. So, we had to practice at Orem High School. It's a 6 a.m. practice. All the guys there are at 545. Like, we got ready. The tone Everybody's set. Ready. We're on fire. We're going hard for 15 minutes. All of a sudden, the gym doors burst open, and all of the Orem High School cheerleaders rush onto the floor. Because there's a conflict. So we had to leave. Come on. We had to leave for the Orem freshman cheerleaders so they could practice. And that was like the beginning of our epic saga at UVU. I mean, that's, it was just every I mean, bit of startup. Have, have you ever read Wooden Stuff? Yeah. it's. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm thinking about like these stories of like <laughs> these guys. You're trying to build like, and they yes. ended up building this like perennial yeah. power yeah. But it started off like you're like in like the oh. side little like gym. They don't even have a basketball arena, and you're trying to it's like have these standards. And so 
And then the, the, it was four of the most fun years of my life because, you know, it was, it was everything was shoestring. Everything, we, we were bootstrapping everything, right? So, you know, I had my daughter. So we're trying to like, you know, when we first got to UVU, they only had general admission tickets. Like you would go buy a ticket for $5 and come and sit wherever <laughs> you want. You come sit courtside <laughs> if there was a courtside ticket left. Like it was insanity, right? And so we started uh, the Green Club, right? And it was courtside tickets. And I think we sold them for like $200, right? And I was calling every human being on the planet no trying to, to sell these. And <laughs> so we tried to, we tried to like make it really nice. Like we were bringing the, we were hand delivering the season tickets in these boxes. You open up, there's a video that would play. Like Alexander's helped us with all this stuff. And then I had, we had a little courtside food section uh, off the corner of the arena where m literally my daughters are cooking pretzels and Come hot dogs on. and giving them to the courtside oh club. Like, it was so great. And then, you know, we, um, I was really blessed to be working for Matt Holland, who's one of my heroes. Yeah, so of talk, life. talk to me a little bit about Matt because oh. Matt was so transformational in that whole process. Oh I mean, gosh. like, you know, he, he kind of, yeah. and, and to Astrid, and she's done such a good job, oh. but, but I mean, he changed that school. Yeah, his vision, man. He's just his vision. He was the one who hired me. Like, he personally hired wow. me. And, and, um, and he was generous to give me access to him. And he was such an unbelievable mentor. Like, he just he just helped me reroute all the wrong thinking that I had. And, and um, you know, he, one of the bold things that he did was, he, you know, I went to him, like, we got to have, we have to have a practice. So if we're going to be serious, we have to build a yep. practice. And he was kind of like, good, go raise the money, go raise the money. And so we're in the process of raising the money and we're trying to find a space and there was all this stuff. And he ended up putting it right by, you know, the UCCU center. And, and, um, and I'll never forget, you know, we were six months in to raising, you know, to kind of raising the money. And, and, you know, we had some plans that so we picked out the spot and, um, and I walked into his office and I was just like, you could feel my frustration. Like this wasn't finished yet. Like we hadn't finished the building. Right. And, and he was just like, just calm down. Like we're going, but he gave us free reign to go talk to every day. Like it was wow. unbelievable. The access he, he gave just, us. He just opened the door. Yeah. And, and, and building that, you know, and Dick Hunsaker had been the coach there and had great success yeah. there before we got there. He's a great coach. But, like, we were trying to go to a next-level program. Which, it, which it, it is. I mean, when I, yeah. I went to yeah. uh, Utah Valley, yeah. and when I was there, it was UVSC yeah. and then UVU. And so, like, it, it's transforming yeah. from, like, this, like, junior college to yeah. state school yeah. to university. Yeah. I'll never – And those aren't, like, easy transitions. You oh, know what I mean? And it's just, like, it's just – it's just, you know, it's um, – a dear friend of mine who's been a great mentor to me talks about how um, you are uh, in a plane, you know, your own plane racing down the runway, still trying to put together the wings before you reach maximum speed so you can actually take off. For and that's sure. how it felt every day. Yeah. I'll never forget um, talking to an um, administrator at UVU and saying, like, I got to get this. I got to get a. I got to get a game with BYU. I got to get a, a buy game. Like, we have to get a game. We have to get a game. And he, and him being like, no, you know, we don't want to do that. That's just going to make us look bad. It's going to make us look awful. And so just even the scheduling aspect. And then I think we we get, the first time we played BYU, we were down twenty four to two of the first six minutes of the game. And then the next year we came and beat them at their place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was like a yeah. And it was just one step in kind I mean, of that, this that, progress. 
And then I, I got the bad back end of that too. Cause I got beat by UVU a couple times in yeah. the last two years, yeah. but that's, that's, I'm actually so proud of that. How that program's turned into. Yeah. You know. Cause, cause like we, we grew it and, um, I, I'll always love my experience there. It was really you know, special. I mean, that story is crazy though. Like so Im- your life is improbable. Like every step of the way, like. To, well, to it sounds pl- that way now, it just, but like, you, but that's because we're not talking about all the fails. Like, but but I mean, I, I'm just yeah. like. The best blessing we've had is we've, we've failed so much, but we've been able to do it really fast. I think God has like a plan yeah. for all of us, but for you specifically. to make an impact in people's lives because there's no other as i like look at the the path there's nothing else that explains it like these steps and like the the role that you're in now with these young people like and building a program like i you know you experience right now is a high but you've experienced the lows like you've experienced the whole thing it's special. It's it. life is beautiful. It, life it really is, is so fun to watch. Man. And the, 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 you know, some of my, you know, I, I told the story a lot, but one of my most choice experiences ever was when Larry Bird called me into his office and fired me. And, um, and so this is Larry Bird. Just think about this man. Like this, this is my hero of heroes. And he's actually been super generous with me for two years and we've had great teams and he's actually played me some and, and, and so it's training camp year three and he brings me to this office right before the end of training camp. And I've just got married and he brings me in and we've just moved into a new uh, arena, new practice facility. And so he, you know, I, I don't know how to say it other than it's like my hero of heroes. And he was like, I'm gonna let you go. And he, and it was super brief because I was about to break into tears and I had to get out of there. So he said, Mark, you know, this is the, this is the best thing for your career. And when he said it, I was like, that's bull crap, man. What are you talking about? This is the best thing for my career. And and I just had that and and tears coming or whatever. So I run out of his office and I turn right in the locker room and there's Reggie and Jack and all the guys just changing. And I got tears coming out of my face and I've been battling with these guys for two years and it just is humiliation and everything. It was just awful. Right. And so you're just naked. Oh, like emotionally naked. Like there's there's no place to hide. Can't hide. And I, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to respond. It's just the moments are terrible. And, um, and then, you know, those guys were so great to me always, kind of big hugs and, like, you know, whatever. And then um, halfway through the next season, uh, the Pacers came to Milwaukee where I was playing and I was starting, and we blasted them. And um, Coach was right. Like that you awful could, You couldn't moment, have had that. You that couldn't have had that. You, like, the you never... best redirect in my life. And it gave me a chance to go actually do some things in the NBA that I had never done before on another great team wow. in a role that I'd never had before. And, and it was the right role for you. It was the right role. Yeah. And coach could have nursed me along and I could have p- kept playing two minutes a game and been yeah. the 14th guy on the bench. But he needed to like cut me like and I say cut me like in the sense of cutting me from the roster, but he cut me to my core. And it changed my life. It gave me an opportunity to like, 
you know, and it, talk about humiliating. Like my wife thought she married an NBA player. She really married two months later an unemployed guy, for sure. right? No, and the for humbling sure. nature of that, and then having to pick ourselves back up and go back to work and like fight it and fight it and fight it. And then it, it gave us a chance to get to a new higher level. No, and I like, think, that's I think what you're describing is like what all of us in our journey experience at different times. I remember, and this is, you know, so different, but so personal mm -hmm. and so real to me. I remember uh, I played junior college baseball and then I went on a mission mm -hmm. and I went to UVU to play baseball and I just played terrible. And I'm on the fall team and they post the roster and I don't make the team yeah. and I'd never been cutting anything in my life. And I was so broken. Like so much of my identity is that I'm an athlete mm -hmm. and I'm a, I'm a baseball player. And, and I still remember just driving up the Canyon, just crying mm -hmm. and just like broken, just like, I'm so down right yeah. now. Like I'm just kind of soaking in it. And I think back, you know, and I'm like, that was like such a, like life is so beautiful. Yes. Like even the downs yes. that you, can you imagine if it was all in here, you know, like the, the, the peaks and the valleys are like what makes it, you know, so special. Like you appreciate yeah. the highs, but you can't truly appreciate them yeah. without those lows that are so bitter. And isn't there something about you driving up the canyon, crying, like totally despairing that now you just love that I, I, Like it's so, so special. It's, 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 a, so it's, special. it's a gift from God. Ugh. It's one of those like that I look back and I just say like, that's one of those beautiful moments where you really are like emotionally naked. I'm yeah. like everything that my identity, this is who I am. Yep. And I just am not good enough. Yep. And it's like, and then you pick yourself yep. self up from your bootstraps and yep. you go back to work. And yep. like, once you like, have your little cry that it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. no more crying. Now so it's time beautiful. to, now it's time to go. Yeah. Well, talk to me about your faith. You know, we, we talk about career and, yeah. and, and it's so, I have like this, uh, weird admiration for coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I, the coaches in my life, you know, I remember being in high school and being like, I'm going to go make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Cause I had Gary Stevenson that yeah. was the business guy. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to live like they live. Yeah. And I wanted to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And I like in a 15 year old brain or a six, I didn't know how those reconciled, but I just knew my coach believes in me more mm -hmm. than I believe in myself. And I want to do that for people. Yeah. And second, like I want to go live a life that has more opportunity, you yeah. know, that I can do more things. Yeah. And, um, so I have kind of this, I've studied, you know, all these coaches and it's actually this profound impact on my business mm -hmm. career because coaching yeah. is life. Coaching yeah. is how to, how to move people and how to lead people and specifically college coaching. You know what I mean? In college, you're in that like transition from colleges kind of becoming professional yeah. at your yeah. professional coaching in yeah. a way. But talk to me about faith and how that's affected your personal decisions, your career track, yeah. and, and how does it kind of bring it all together? Yeah, so my faith is super, really important to me. Like, it's kind of the bedrock of, of everything that I am and aspire to be, and it's the foundation of how I see the world. Like, I see the world through faithful eyes. Um, I do feel like um, 
we all have a purpose here. Like we all have a purpose for our life. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like God has plans for us. I really do feel like that. Um, in the, you know, I'm a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, you know, one of the things that's been emphasized in our ward, uh, our church congregation last few days is these patriarchal blessings. And, you know, even is something as practical as that is, yeah. is, is an idea that God has a plan for your life. And, um, um, uh, you know, a plan for you to be able to grow and a plan for you to be able to serve and a, and a plan for you to be able to have an impact on the people around you. And my faith is very much about that we're a community um, that has to look out for each other and help each other and serve each other yeah. so that we can become all the things that um, God intends us to become and that we can do it together. And so... Um, that brings a lot of peace. It hasn't always like, listen, I, 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 I worry and have more anxiety and frustration than could probably be quantifiable in a person's life. Probably like, addicted to it. Yeah. I, like I have there, all there's of pieces that. that, you know, you become addicted to some of those emotions, but all that's not built on an empty foundation or a sandy foundation, all that built on a really solid foundation. I mean, it kind of rests and it, it floats around on a yeah. very solid foundation of this idea that, um, that God has plans for us. And then it's also built on this, um, this faith that in the end, everything's going to actually be okay. Yeah. I'll never forget, you know, this is not sports, but um, I'll never forget like, um, for us in, in my generation, 9-11 was such a terrifying moment in time. And I'll never forget, um, you know, that week coming into church and sitting in an in a, in a elders quorum class uh, lesson and just kind of everybody just couldn't talk or think about anything else. And guys just talking about how everything's changed. Everything has changed forever. The world has changed yeah. forever Shifted now that it. this happened. Yeah. And as that conversation was going on, I just had this thought in my mind about like, I get it. I understand everything you're saying, but actually nothing has changed. Interesting. Jesus Christ is still the Savior. And the gospel plan is still the gospel plan. And our Heavenly Father is still our Heavenly Father. And actually, like, all this terrible stuff on this planet that we're doing to each other has maybe changed. But actually, the real things, the main things are still the main things. Yep. And nothing's ever changed. And I think the peace that we gather from that, the confidence that we gather from that, that, like, listen... The beautiful things about us, we talk, started this podcast talking about the unpredictability of sports, right? For sure. And nobody knows that better than me. The number of times I've been fired and hired and the highs and lows. Yeah. And so there's nothing guaranteed. But at the end, when you get to approach this job with all its dynamic uncertainty and know that in the end, everything is going to be okay because... Like Jesus Christ is my Savior, how powerful! Oh my is gosh, that? that's so profound. And how much does that allow you to operate your life with some confidence and self assurance and, and to navigate needs? uncertainty? Actually, yes. to seek it out. You know, if, yes. you, if you don't have that, you you play things so much more safe. Yes, because you can take risks knowing yes. that like it's all going to be okay. But that 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 core belief needs yep. to be there. Yep, it's all going to be okay. Yep. Like. 
it's not going to work out. Yeah. Like it is going to go bad, but it's all going to be okay. Allows you to like navigate and go forward, yeah. you know, but to I take think, the leap. I think sometimes we miss the gospel. I, th- I think sometimes we miss the atonement a little bit. When, when Jesus tells us to take his yoke, take his yoke upon us so he can make our yoke light and easy. I actually think that's really literal. And, and I think it's in the sense of like, I think it's in the sense of, of taking some of the burden of worry and anxiety yeah. off of our shoulders. I mean, it, we, I think we talk about it more in 2023 than ever before. Yes. I think our parents and even we experienced, you know, these fear and anxiety and yeah. even depression. Yeah. But I think it's kind of socialized and talked about more. But I feel those burdens yep. like lifted yep. when I'm in tune with God. Yeah where those same things, they're still there. They're still floating. The risks are still there. The yeah. the uncertainty, the challenges, but I don't feel them the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can actually like be pretty happy yeah. and navigate where there's other times where it's paralyzing, yeah. you know, where, where I'm not at my emotional best yeah. Yeah. and it weighs me down, yeah. you know. You know, one of my lifetime favorite quotes is Jack London said, I'd rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather be ashes than dust. And I think the gospel allows us to really embrace that. Just to go for it. Yeah. Like our purpose is to be here and not like, we're not supposed to be here and be dust. Yeah. We're not. We're supposed to come here and like, let's go. Yeah. And you know what? The great thing about the atonement in a literal sense is we can be, we can, we can burn to ashes and we get another chance. Yep. Yep. And we can burn to ashes. We get another chance. And, and that's the power of the gospel, man. And so the, so my faith has had every bit of impact on every facet of my life. And it does, you know, I'm, I'm trying to incorporate it more into how I coach and how I teach. And, and um, I do think the answers are there. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an incredible gift. Well, Coach, I appreciate you coming on. Like I, the, this is, you know, when, when you asked me to participate in an NIL, I didn't do it for BYU. Mm-hmm. I did it because you asked me to. And it's because I get to watch you as a man and as a leader in the community. And, and I just think BYU is lucky. I think they're really lucky to have you. Um, and, and I think those players are really lucky to have you as a mentor. And I think this life experience and these battle scars Mm. that you've experienced, that you get to bring that to your players and, you know, I'm pulling for you. I'm pulling for the team. But I kind of don't care what happens because it is going to work out yep. the way it's going to work out. And so I appreciate you coming on. Um, thanks for telling your story and look forward to cheering for you in the, in the wins to come. Thanks, Casey. Super grateful.